listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. God's Word with you. Um, th- thinking back over uh, 13 years here, in every season, no matter what role the Lord allowed me to, to serve in here, I'll tell you one thing that is certain and true. God's word changes people's lives. So like I, while I appreciate Maddox's prayer a second ago, like I can tell you what the future holds. God's gonna keep moving in your lives and turning Lubbock upside down as you pursue him and walk with the spirit and stay in the word. That's what's gonna happen. I mean, I hope you guys with me on that. Like, like, no, yes, absolutely. God's gonna keep working in your life because he speaks through his word and his word points you to the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was the middle school pastor, we <laughs> did, a, I did a talk on uh, David and Bathsheba. And I, I remember I, I prepped the parents, sent out an email or whatever. Gosh, it's like probably 20, I guess it would have been 2011. I don't think Lauren and I were even married yet. So it was early 2011. And I finished that Wednesday night talk about David and Bathsheba. And one of the boys comes up to me afterwards and he says, this makes so much more sense now. And I was like, good, man. He said, all these years, keep in mind, he was like 12 years old. He's like, all these years, I thought Bathsheba was a dude. (laughs) Like, man, I'm glad God's word was more clear to you today. (laughs) Like, my calling is sure. (laughs) I think about... I got to serve as a college pastor, sitting right down here with my friend Mauricio is this morning, but right down here was a young man named J.T. Goodart, and he was an atheist at the time, but some students in the college ministry have been ministering to him. He ended up marrying one of them, actually, but uh, ministering to him, showing him the love of Christ, and he sat right down there on a Tuesday night as we studied in the book of Psalms. Keep in mind, he was an atheist, studying the book of Psalms, and the Lord saved him through the preaching of his word, because God's word changes lives. JT this morning is uh, over in Midland. His wife, Karina, is finishing med school, and uh, he's currently in seminary pursuing a calling on his life to preach the gospel because the word changed his life. Not Brandon Hayes, the Bible. God through his word. I think about the, the, the number of Sundays here in the venue that I've told Lauren, man, I don't know, like... Uh, just, just be faithful, just preach the text. I don't know about this sermon. And the number of times that I came, reluct- uh, yeah, I guess reluctantly, maybe even a little bit doubting, and people would catch me afterwards, and man, God's word spoke to me. Not because I had some cool sermon, no, because God's word is alive and powerful. You know, you, you, my words, your words, they're pretty pathetic. Like how many, how many parents of teenagers, you go in your teenager's room and you're like, you need to get up. The days before you, it's going to be great. You go and you come back 10 minutes later and you realize your words had no power over their lives. <laughs> or, man, not to bring up a sore subject too soon, I know, but you, you, you go to the game last night and you're cheering with all your voice. You're giving it everything you got and they're just not listening to you. <laughs> but God speaks and the earth is formed. Because God's word is powerful. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
And if there's something you find true at this church, I know it'll be this, that we believe that the Bible is God's word and it changes our lives. You know, uh, next Sunday, excited for you guys, Pastor David is starting a um, series through the book of Philippians where I'm going, they're, they're wanting us to start a series on giving. I'm like, really? <laughs> you want me to come in and preach on giving? <laughs> like, it's all good. <laughs> starting a series in Philippians, and man, I'm excited for how God is gonna speak to you. So this morning is kind of a, I know Pastor David next week will do more of a um, kind of detailed um, background introduction to the book. I wanna give you a 10,000 foot flyover of the book of Philippians. So I'm going to attempt to do is quote Philippians for you with the idea that it's like Paul is here preaching. I'm gonna be so a mess this morning, I'm sorry. <laughs> that guy, it's like Paul's here preaching this letter to you. Hopefully I don't have to go to my Bible. If I do, you'll show me some grace. <laughs> yeah, I wanna, I wanna quote it to you. And I would encourage you, you can do a couple different ways. You could follow along in your Bible. I'm gonna be quoting from the ESV translation. I know I've been using the CSV, but I worked on this a while ago when I was still uh, using ESV. Still love the ESV. But you're welcome to follow along or sit back and, and hear as if Paul was here. And if you're like, well, who's gonna keep you accountable? I'm sure my wife will stop me if I get too far off. So no, it's, it'll be good. Um, but after that, I wanna give you just real quick about a two-hour sermon over, no, just real quick, two big takeaways from the book of Philippians. It's pretty simple this morning. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the power of your word. that you speak to us through your word. Again, not only that, we know that it's not just feelings or emotion, but that your word tells us that you've sent the Holy Spirit to counsel us and to guide us and to comfort us. So we have your word and we have your spirit, which speaks to us as we read your word, but also speaks to us as we go throughout our days. God, thank you that the average person with the help of the Holy Spirit can understand the big ideas of the Bible. So God, it's our prayer this morning that you would just speak to us as we hear your word without tons of examples and application, just to sit and hear a letter that you wrote through Paul. If you would, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, would you just make this prayer? God, do anything in me you need to do in order to do everything through me you want to do. Make that your prayer. God, do anything in me you need to do in order to do everything through me you want to do. God, we love you. Look forward to how you're gonna speak to us in this moment. It's your name we pray, amen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. <laughs> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm with one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and, well, now here that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Hey, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God, I answered that why, that's not in there. <laughs> for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, 
I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche. I don't think we have any Euodias or Syntyches in here this morning. <laughs> I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, <laughs> Let's check and make sure I didn't miss something there. <laughs> two things. There's a lot there, but two simple things. Number one, Dwelling on who you are and what you've done prevents you from delighting in Jesus and what he's done. That's the first thing. We'll have that on the screen for you. Dwelling on who you are and what you've done prevents you from delighting in Jesus and what he has done. That goes, that goes both ways whether it's dwelling on your pride and your accomplishments or dwelling on your past. When you fixate on yourself, you miss out on the beauty, the wonder, the glory of Jesus. And I mean that in a saving way and in a spiritual growth way. So like, if you are always fixated on yourself, like, I, I, I'm just too bad, God can never save me. You never receive the free gift. Like he's sitting there like, hey, take it, here's salvation. You're like, no, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it. Like, you're gonna miss out on salvation. Similarly, if, think about the gospel, Jesus is offering you salvation. He died on the cross for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins, offers you forgiveness and hope and life. And if you're like, you know, Jesus, that's really kind of you, but I actually think I got it covered. I'm pretty spiritual and uh, don't need your help. That'll send you to hell. No matter how good you think you are, dwelling on yourself prevents you from delighting in Jesus. In a spiritual growth way, if you're fixated, we talked about this a little bit last week, you're obsessing over your failures or your accomplishments, you're gonna miss out on spiritual growth because growth in God is simply that, it's growth in Jesus. It's not like, all right, God, thanks for saving me. Now it's a Home Depot, do it yourself, I got this. No, it's, it's a delight in Jesus. As I grow deeper in him, I grow to be more like him. Think about what he says in chapter three. He talks about all the amazing things that he had done, like religiously that he had done in his life. And 
Some of them to me are like awkward, that, like bragging about when he got circumcised and stuff. <laughs> but, okay, Paul. <laughs> Different culture, right? But he's, he's, he's saying, hey, man, like if, you, if somebody wanted to point out to all their accomplishments, all they had done religiously, he's like, man, I got you beat. Like my trophy case is full. Don't, don't even try to compare it. But he says, I count that as rubbish so I may gain Christ. I want to grow in him. I want to know him more. And then remember just a few verses after that, he says, I don't consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. So he's saying, look, I was saved by turning to Jesus. And the way I'm going to keep growing in my heart's desire is to continue keeping my eyes on him and growing in him, not fixating on the past. Friends, what do you need to let go of today to continue to grow in Jesus tomorrow? Whether it's a failure, whether it's a success, if it's about you and not about Jesus, let it go. You know, it's not wrong to look in the mirror. Like hopefully this morning before you came to church, it looks like everybody did. Good job, you looked in the mirror, way to go. But standing and staring, obsessing at yourself in the mirror really only leads to one of two things that are really kind of the same, just different sides of the same coin. Leads to pride or insecurity. I don't care who you are, how maybe you think, I don't make life about me. You stand and look at the mirror long enough, you'll begin to either find flaws in yourself or to be like, man, I look good. (laughs) Neither one of those are healthy. Spiritually, the same thing is true. When you just dwell on yourself, you're fixated on yourself, it will lead to either pride in your, like, look at me, or to lead to insecurity of like, oh my gosh, and you know, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Dwelling on you and what you've done prevents you from delighting in who Jesus is and what he's done. Second thing I want you to see, When Jesus is your everything, you can face anything. That's our second point today. When Jesus is your everything, you can face anything. Where was Paul when he wrote this book? In jail. Why? He says in the the book, he says, for the sake of the gospel. Like, so it wasn't like, yeah, I'm doing my time because I've done some bad things, but one day I'm gonna get out. Like, he's like, no, I've been living for Jesus. I've been preaching the gospel, and so I'm in jail. Like, it reminds me of Joseph. Like, Joseph kept doing the right thing over and over again, and you expect, like, he did the right thing. God's gonna set him free, and the situation kept getting worse and worse and worse. Eventually, it got better. But, so how could Joseph keep being faithful? How could Paul keep being faithful? I mean, even, like, think about what he says in chapter one, where he's like, like it almost, it sounds so, uh, he's like so chipper about it. He's like, yeah, guys, listen, I want you to know, like, let me give you this update. Yeah, I'm still in prison for the gospel, but guess what? People were hearing about Jesus. You're like, Paul, you okay? <laughs> and then later in chapter four, the verse that we're familiar with most of us, that I think about that. Well, he says, whether in plenty, uh, no, I can't remember, sorry. Uh, um, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He said, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I can't say that without thinking of Jenny on the block anyways. 
<laughs> used to have a little now. Anyway, sorry. Lauren, Lauren gets it. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> he says, even if I've gone without food, I, I'm still okay. And he means not like I'm feeling strong. Like, he means like I still, in the context of the whole letter, I still love Jesus. I'm still walking with him. I can be who he wants me to be. How can you have that perspective? How can you, no matter your situation, go, you know what, I'm okay. God's got this. He's good. It's because very explicitly what he says in chapter one in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, when your priority is Jesus, it changes your perspective on everything. When Jesus is your everything, you can face anything. I uh, have had a couple opportunities to go to India and work with some pastors there. And um, one of my friends I met there, it's been a while since I've seen him now, but his name was Paul Augustine. He was from Kashmir, which is one of the most Northern territories, regions of India, I guess the most Northern. And it borders up against Pakistan. It's a very contested region. And Christians regularly are persecuted by Hindus and Muslims there. And Paul is one of the most, uh, Paul Augustine is his name. He's one of the most joyful men I've ever met. Just sings his heart out. He can't sing on key worth a lick, but man, he sings loud. Like he just, he's going to worship. We haven't, we had a worship session with all the pastors and he had a cajon. And I'm not sure he knew how to keep rhythm, but he was hitting that cajon. Like he was playing those drums. Remember one time we were, we were riding to grab lunch or something. And he said, Brandon, you need to you need to come visit me in Kashmir. And I said, oh man, that'd be so cool. Like, and it's, if you look it up, it's beautiful. It's crazy gorgeous. But you need to come visit. He said, when you come, when we drive around, we'll give you a helmet. I said, oh, okay. He said, yeah, we'll give you a helmet. That way when the Muslims and Hindus throw rocks at you, you'll be okay. And I, I said, oh, come on. He said, no, really, it'll be, the helmet will protect you. It'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're, you're not kidding. He said, oh, it'll be great. Like, that's, that's regular life for Paul. Augustine. That's, but that's not his Indian name. He just chose that to relate to us. And it's a pretty epic name, Paul Augustine. How could Paul Augustine be so joyful, cheerful, even like in regular persecution? One thing I know about Paul Augustine, my friend in India, Jesus is his everything. So no matter what he faces, man, he's good. When your pleasure and your purpose are both in Jesus, man, bring it on. <laughs> Just because it's a fact, biblical and experiential fact, that when Jesus is your everything, you can face anything, just because that's true, it doesn't mean life is easy, right? Following Jesus, there are, there are tears, there are hardships. He'll lead you to do things you didn't expect, you didn't see coming. Uh, we told, Lauren and I told our kids about the transition to, to Nashville to pasture there the same, uh, the Friday that, that the church email went out. Well, why'd you wait so long to tell your kids? We don't trust five-year-olds with a secret. <laughs> and it proved to be true the very next day. They were pretty hilarious, like just saying things that were not appropriate. Anyways, remember that morning, that Saturday morning, uh, Haddon, our, our son, is that he sees this as an adventure. Caroline Tate is a little, she's a little, she's a planner. And so she wants to know all the details and uh, she's been a little more apprehensive about it. But that Saturday morning she said, dad, 
tell me again why we're moving. Why are we going somewhere? And I, it was early in the morning. I was just trying to be simple. I said, which is true, but I very simply said, Caroline, take, we just, we feel like that's where God wants us to go. Remember we talked about how we're, when we follow Jesus, we surrender our lives to him and we feel like he's leading us to go here. And she goes, I don't feel that. <laughs> <laughs> Following Jesus can be hard. But it doesn't mean you won't be okay. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing special about what's the longest verse or what's, or what's the shortest verse in the Bible, but just for food for thought. You know, a lot of people will say, what's the shortest verse in the Bible when everybody says, Jesus wept. Let me... Let me let me drop some, some exciting knowledge on you guys this morning. So, actually, in the Greek, Jesus wept is actually three words. <gasps> Someone lied to you. <laughs> yeah, in, in the Greek, it's actually not the shortest verse in the Bible. I, in the New Testament. Actually, shortest verses are tied, and it's in uh, is it 1, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, Rejoice always, and in the English, pray without ceasing. But both those, rejoice always and pray without ceasing, both of those are just two words. Well, it doesn't matter what's long or short again, but what a cool juxtaposition. What a cool idea. We always think of oh, Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, but actually the shortest verses are rejoice always in every season, in every hardship, and never stop praying, never quit. How, how can I do that? Well, because if Jesus is your everything, then you can rejoice that in every season, in every situation, you know God is working all things for good. In every situation, in every season, you can trust and know that even though it may be way over your head, God can use your situation to draw other people to himself and people be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In every season, in every situation, you can not only rejoice but you, because of what God's doing, you can rejoice in the fact that you have a heavenly father who hears your prayers. What kind of sick God would say, Pray without ceasing, never quit praying if he wasn't listening and didn't care. No, he says, you keep talking because you've got my ear. Pray without ceasing. When Jesus is your everything, you can face anything. I'm gonna ask um, David Maddox to come on up just for a second. Almost done. <clears throat> I wanna lead us into our close with um, reading this prayer. You don't have to, Close your eyes. I want you to, want you to hear it. Um, this is from a, a prayer book called The Valley of Vision. Uh, I think if you see it, it looks like the Book of Mormon or something. It is not, okay? Uh, the Valley of Vision, Vision it's a book of, uh, it's a collection of prayers written by a lot of Puritans, but even people like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, and man, it's a, I don't really talk the way these prayers are written, but man, these prayers have been influential in my life. And so uh, you can get your copy on Amazon. <laughs> this prayer is called Grace Active. If you were to look it up one day, Grace Active. 
Lord Jesus, great high priest. You have opened a new and living way by which a fallen creature like me can approach thee with acceptance. Help me to contemplate, to think about the dignity of your person, the perfectness of your sacrifice, the effectiveness of your prayers for me. Oh, what blessedness accompanies devotion when under all the trials that weary me, the cares that corrode me, the fears that disturb me, the sicknesses that oppress me, I can come to you in my need and feel peace beyond understanding. The grace that restores is necessary to preserve, lead, guard, supply, and help me. Every new duty, every new calling calls for more grace than I now possess, but not more grace than is found in you, the divine treasury in whom all fullness dwells. To you I look for grace upon grace, until every void made by sin be replenished and I am filled with all your fullness. May my desires be enlarged and my hopes emboldened that I may honor you by my entire dependency and the greatness of my expectation. Be with me and prepare me for all the smiles of prosperity, the frowns of adversity, the losses of substance, the death of friends, the days of darkness, the changes of life, and the last great change of all. May I find thy grace sufficient for all my needs. Whatever you're facing, Whatever it is, there's grace for it. Whatever your struggle, whatever your hardship, whatever you feel like has got you in chains, imprisoned, Jesus is big enough for it. Jesus, the reason you can face anything and everything is because Jesus gives you grace that is comforting, grace that is satisfying, grace that guides you. So this morning, uh, the invitation is to step into grace. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 